I love it when God works. This wasn't even part of my message, but back in the 80s, there was this TV show called the A-Team. And the leader of this merry, merry band of men always had a favorite saying. He said, I love it when a plan comes together. And the only reason I'm saying this is because of one thing. Emmy, did you know what I was going to be preaching about today? Did you even know I was going to be preaching today? Okay, so she had no idea what I was going to be preaching about. So she comes up here today and starts talking, echoing my first scripture I'm going to talk about today. Had no clue. But God did. So, I don't have a title yet for my message. I was kicking some around... And one of them was, are you going to be willing to let lunch burn when the Spirit shows up? (laughs) Now, some of you younger people may not have a clue what I'm talking about. Think, why why are you talking about lunch burning? Well, if you was living in the early 70s, there was this thing, and it's still a thing because I tried to see when it quit, but it never quit, called the blue law. The blue law, which meant in West Virginia, there was no restaurants open anywhere. There was no stores open anywhere. There was a few gas stations along the interstate that may have been open so you could get gas so you could keep on traveling, but that was it. So what did you do for lunch after church? You had to prepare it. And I remember my grandmother, my mother, you know, uh, fixing stuff to put it in the oven, and they timed it, okay, this is going to take three hours, it'll be done, church should be over in three hours, so we'll come home, and our dinner will be ready. For you young people, there was no such thing as a microwave. So we didn't have a five-minute fix. It was a half hour, 45 minutes to an hour fix. So I remember back in the day that, you know, you could tell when you was in a church service, the women that had their food in the oven. Because if the preacher went a little long, they'd get, start getting a little nervous, get a little antsy. Because they didn't want to eat burnt lunch. So that's probably going to be the title of my message today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the worship, Lord. I thank you for your presence, Lord. And I just pray that that your will be done in this message, Lord, that you will set me aside and every word that comes out of my mouth will be from you and from you only. And not my plans, not my will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's throw the first scripture up there, which is Luke 4.18. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and reclaim the sight up for the blind and release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what's that mean? That means when the presence of God falls, that stuff should be happening. That's what should be taking place when the presence of the Lord falls. That's what should be happening. And I added 
19, which is proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which also is the year of Jubilee. And for those that don't know, the year of Jubilee happened every 50 years. Every 50 years, if you had a debt, it was forgiven. If you, like, sold yourself to a person to be their slave because they gave you something or whatever, you was no longer their slave after that, at that year. You was released from that. If you gave your property up to somebody because you needed something, at that year, your property was given back to you. And we know that Jesus, when he left, he gave this uh, to us to do. Because he's gone. So he said, okay, you do Luke 4.18 now. That's what is supposed to happen when the presence falls. So that brings me to my first story. Let's go to Acts. And uh, let's talk a minute about her. It says, She followed Paul and the rest of them, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to salvation. She kept this up for many days. Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, not her, the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Do you realize Paul and Silas got in trouble for casting out a demon? That's all they did. Cast out a demon. And just like the little cartoon portrayed the, the girl, have you ever seen a demon-oppressed person happy? Have you ever seen a demon-oppressed person glad that they're being oppressed by a demon? I mean, I haven't. Everybody I've ever been around was, get rid of this thing. I don't know how, but I like to get rid of it. Then they come to our church and we show them how. So that was the crime that they committed. Once again, what was they doing? They was fulfilling what Jesus said, set the captives free. Bring freedom to the oppressed. That's what Paul's doing. He's not inciting any riot. He's casting out demons. So let's go to the next scripture. After they had been uh, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and their jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with shackles. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison was shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he had saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer calls for lights, rushes in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want to talk about this situation. Can you go back to the first scriptures for a minute, please? There's a few things here that is odd to me. Uh, first of all, that's, what was the prison like? Was it like the Hilton had nice soft beds, air conditioning, room service? 
No. The prisons back in Paul's day, the prison that Paul was in, was a place to hold people until they could be punished. It was basically a cave. It was in the ground. They was filthy. I'll let your mind go to where you think what filthy is. But they were filthy. Ventilation, poor. Dirty. And also, there was another reason people was there. If you had information that the Romans thought they needed to know, they would take you there and they would torture you until you gave them the information that they wanted. So, oh, and because it's in the ground, it's dark. There's no light. You're chained to a wall, or uh, I, I read up a little bit on it, a lot of times they would chain them all together. And it wasn't like individual jail cells. They just one big cell, and they'd throw five, six, ten of you. And... Uh, of course, there was bad people in there, and they didn't discriminate. If, if you was a woman and you was a bad woman, you got thrown in there too with all the men. So you can imagine what happened in that kind of a situation. So it was a very nasty place. So my question is, when the doors fly open, the chains fall off, why didn't anybody leave? Would you want to stay there? In this lap of luxury, you know, you would think that as soon as the doors opened, the chains fell off, they was gone. That's what the jailer thought. He thought, man, everybody's escaped. So I find that kind of weird. The other thing is, go to the next slide, where he throws himself at trembling at the feet of, of Paul and Silas. Now, I'm not a military guy. I had military people in my family, but I was never in the military. So to this, this doesn't make sense to me. So I want to ask a guy that's been in the military. Chris has been in the military. Chris, well, the first thing that comes to your mind when you was put in charge of something, it's your responsibility to take care of that. And you walk in and it's shambles. It's all tore up. Is the first thing that you're going to think of, the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth is, what must I do to earn salvation? No. Okay. Second question. is you're a leader, you have prisoners or you have your enemy, are you going to run down to them, fall on your face at their feet? No. So what's going on here? Now, granted... This isn't a very nice place. These aren't very nice people that's in jail. And the guy in authority runs down, and he also brings light so they can see now, falls down at the feet of Silas and Paul. What better opportunity to have a prisoner so you can get out of jail? I mean, he's already, his guard's not up. He don't have his sword drawing. He's, laying, he's sheep to the slaughter. Let's grab him up. We're out of here. He's our captive. He's our, or he's our prisoner now. We can escape. They didn't do that either. So why is all these 
weird incidents is happening. This is my theory on it. I think Paul and Silas, once they got in prison, they started preaching. They started telling about the goodness of God. They started talking about the power of God. They started talking about all the things of God. They say the prisoners was listening. I believe the presence of God was so great there, that's what shook the, the foundations of the jail. The presence of God was so great that that's why the prisoners didn't leave. I think the presence of God was so great, that's why the jailer did something that is unthinkable, ran down there, fell down at their feet, asked them what must he do to be saved, and did what he did. Because the presence of God was so great that, that they, they, they did stuff out of the unordinary. Think, and the Lord gave me this. They may have been bad men when they went to jail, but that night they was transformed. They was transformed into good men. I mean, Paul could have said, Hey, Ed, aren't you supposed to be crucified tomorrow? Hey, Joe, aren't you supposed to be beat with cat, you know, with a whip tomorrow? Hey, Dave, aren't you just waiting to be tortured because you're in this little rebellious Jewish group that's giving the Romans a hard time? Aren't you just waiting for them to drag you out of here and torture you to find out where the rest of them are? You see, it didn't matter to them. Not only did physical doors open, not only did physical chains fall off, but spiritual chains fell off. Spiritual doors was opened. I talked last time, I preached last time, I talked about God. Jesus is concerned with the whole man. Spiritual, physical, the whole nine yards he cares about. And so, for that reason, I believe that there was a rival in a jail cell, in the jail. And not only did the, did the captain go down and say, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, not only you, but your whole household is going to be saved. Can you, call, can you say favor? Not only are you going to be saved, but your wife's going to be saved, your kids are going to be saved, your dad's going to be saved, your mom's going to be saved, your great-granddad's going to be saved. The whole household's going to be saved because of this. Let's look at uh, Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard that had happened and drew, withdrew by boat privately to a secluded place, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And then let's jump to 21. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. I've read that story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Before I get into it, I want to 
do some number crunching. It says there's 5,000 men there. Okay. Other than a men's retreat. Every time I've ever been to a cleansing stream or any other type of event like that, women usually outnumber men two to one. And sometimes three to one. So let's be conservative. I'm not even going to say two to one. I say that's for every man there was a woman. Just saying. Okay. So now our 5,000 men, 5,000 women. Okay, now let's talk about the children. In those days, it was a big thing to have big families. Okay, granted, there's probably some women that was older and maybe done having children. People, women that was younger that hasn't started having children yet. So let's go with the conservative number. Let's say each woman had two kids. That takes up for the kids, that, uh, the women that don't have no kids and the women that has four or five kids. So let's just say two kids. To me, that's being conservative. Okay, that's 10,000 kids. So let's add all this up. 5,000 men, 5,000 women, 10,000 kids. 20,000 people is there. Okay. If you read Mark, it says once they found out where Jesus was going, that some of them ran to where he was going to. All right. And also they say, the crowd beat him there. They got there before Jesus got there. What would cause people to not even take time to lock their house up? Hey, he's going to be in Bridgeport, and we're on our way. You know, drop everything you're doing and go. That's called hunger. Hunger. They were so hungry for God, nothing else on this earth mattered. They wanted to be in the presence of him no matter what. So, we figured conservative number, 20,000 people. Do you think that the 12 disciples was the only ones that had the revelation, hey, it's getting late, it's almost dinner time? Don't you think some of the men's stomachs probably starting to growl? said, man, it's getting close to dinner time. Children come up to their moms, hey, we're hungry. Well, you got to eat. Only 12 people out of 20,000 had this epiphany? If you, if you read John, John says God, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was just testing the disciples when he said, well, feed them. And in Mark, it sounded like Judas was talking because he said, wait a minute, it's going to take eight months. We want to spend that kind of money on these people? To me, I sound like Judas, you know, because he, he kept the money. But the people didn't care. The people was willing to miss a, a meal just to sit in the presence of God, presence of Jesus. And what did he do? Because of their hunger, he healed their sick. What do we got to do? What's our job in this? You know, and all the miracles is just a byproduct of the love that Jesus has for us. So what's he asked for in return? For us to love him back. That's it. That's all he wants. 
We relish what he loves on us. Guess what? He relishes it when we love on him. And what happens? His, spirit, his, his presence comes. Luke is fulfilled because of his love. Oh, oh you got a hurting back? Well, I can't have you having a hurting back. I'm going to take that from you. I'm going to heal you from that. Oh, you're being oppressed by this? We can't be having that because I love you. So that goes away. You know, and being in the presence of God should be our first and foremost thing we want. I mean, Thursday nights are off the chart. I mean, things are happening that's unbelievable. Sundays, things are happening that are unbelievable because the presence of God is here. We're fulfilling Luke, what Jesus said. But I'm here to say that we should be in his presence every day. Why? Because, real quickly, Tuesday I come, come back home from vacation. I go to work. I can't find my AirPods because I'm in a place where I'm kind of by myself so I can put my AirPods in. I can listen to prophets, preachers, and that's what I do for probably four to six hours of my eight-hour day is I listen to that. I misplaced them. I couldn't find them. So Tuesday, well, ain't no big deal. I can go to work. All's well. So I go to work, and I get into a confrontation with a guy. And it was, I was kind of shocked because he was going on. I'm thinking, wait a minute, this isn't what I was planning. This wasn't what I meant. This, you know, and so I'm sitting there. I'm being cool. He's blowing up, and I'm just listening there. And I said, well, okay. Then I started getting a little aggravated. I said, well, I got to go because I don't want to do something that I'm going to have to apologize or repent for later. So I get up and I go. I go back over to my area, which is far away from that situation. And guess what happened? The old me resurrected. I'll teach him. He thinks I screwed him over. He ain't seen nothing yet. You mess with me, oh my. See, the old me come back. I need revenge. I'm going to teach him a lesson. And of course, while all this is blood in my mind, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm repenting. I, I'm, I'm doing everything I know how to because I know this isn't of God. Two days go by. And I, I'm still struggling with this thing. You know, the, 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 the flesh is saying, we'll show him. I'm saying, no, that's not the right way. That's not what we need to do. And so Thursday, I found my AirPods. So I go back to work. I plug in. I find a couple prophets. I listen to them for an hour. And guess what? That offense that my flesh was just hanging on to disappeared. I have love, compassion for that guy. Because why? I got back into the presence. And what's the word say when you get in the presence of God, how the things of this earth become dim? That's exactly what happened. So that's why it's so important that we pursue the presence of God. That we need him, we need the presence every day.
every minute of every day. And why am I preaching on a message about the presence of God when, I mean, every Sunday we come to church, we experience it? Because God's about ready to pour out something like we have never seen before in our life. He is getting ready. He's he just preparing us for what is to come. I mean, listen to giving 15 Dutch sheets. That's all he's been talking about for the last 27 days. Is how to get into his presence. What to do when you're in his presence. And thank God for Pastor Roger and Pastor Heather. That they are in the presence of God. They are following where he is leading them. And we are on track for great things. We are on track to see miracles like we've never seen before. We are on track to see demons cast out. We are on track to see blind people see, lame people walk. That's what we're on track to do. Pastor Roger, I turn it over to you. Thank you, buddy. I want to ask those that are uh, going to serve communion to go ahead and uh, prepare. I was just thinking about how when Jesus broke the bread, he took it. He broke it. He blessed it. And what happened? Miracles. I want to anticipate today we take the bread break it now don't get it everywhere we will bless it we're going to go ahead and uh, pass out the, the bread and then we'll do the cup everybody take it in hand you don't worry about it we'll vacuum it up take a piece it's been broken already that's for sure Everybody can receive, take it in hand. And then the next wonderful and precious thing happened. Jesus blessed it. It takes me back to Genesis 1.26 after he had created man he blessed be fruitful and multiply take dominion and subdue let's lift it before the Lord you and I need the multiplication of the life of Jesus within us. Let's praise Him right now. Just go ahead and praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Just worship Him for a moment. Jesus declared Himself to be the bread of life. And he was broken for us. And when he was broken for us, he released healing power for us. Let's praise him again. I just sense the Lord's presence just waiting upon us. Just 
here upon us. Where the presence of the Lord is, people don't want to jump up and run out, as you were saying in your message. You just want to be in His presence. That's why heaven is so wonderful, because God is there. I just sense like the Lord's just showing up in the room. Let His glory come. Let His presence descend. Let His life manifest upon you. Would you let a gratitude just well up inside of you right now? Let's praise Him. Because He said He blessed the bread. Let's go ahead and bless the bread. Let's bless Jesus right now, the bread of life. We bless you, Lord. We praise you for multiplying your life within us. We give you praise for who you are. We thank you for your absolute authority over every issue that our hearts go through. We praise you, Jesus. Every broken piece you mend and heal and put back together. Every dark specter you cast out. You bring light to us. You may be starting very just in the beginning steps of your journey, I have a word for you. Jesus has been looking for that start for a long time. And he's going to help you in every step along the way. For those of you that have been walking a long time, fresh strength, new anointing, greater empowerment is coming upon you. I feel the Lord saying this. You've been faithful through the difficult passes through the tough things that have ring, rung you out. And the Lord says, now that you're rung out, I'm going to go ahead and flood you with a new level of abilities. Let's praise the Lord for that. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Uh, the, the word and the message about the about the, 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 uh, the guard that it says he and his whole family were saved that's for you that's for you so we just affirm the promise that's rising in your heart the faith that you're putting in him your children will know the ways of the Lord. They will love Him. We as a congregation will be praying for all those that are stumbling, that are new among us. In the name of Jesus, we say multiply your life in them. Even if they're not here to partake right now, let the love of Jesus overwhelm them. Holy Spirit come upon them cause to be an insatiable hunger for Christ come into every heart in these days in the name of Jesus let's partake together praise you Jesus unexpected blessings the Holy Spirit's come the Lord's eyes are upon you. He knows what was done. He lifts the heavy yoke. 
the burdens ease away unexpected blessings the Lord is here today I want to thank the Lord for the term subdue I was at a conference and um, a friend of mine introduced me to uh, a ministry couple from Florida and I looked at the lady and I saw the word subdue and I didn't know what it was about but the Lord had my curiosity so I went over to find out about it the ladies was over a network of prayer uh, a network of prayer and she led prayer and coordinated prayer for a large group of people and there was no witness in my heart that the word subdue was about that but then I found that she had a daughter and the daughter was coming of that age where the mother knew that she loved the Lord but there was this uncertainty and insecurity and I felt the Lord saying the word subdue is to subdue the adversary coming against your daughter and for the last three months I have been praying for this daughter because there was a moment in my daughter's life when the God of her parents became her God and I'm praying for that young lady that the God of her parents will become her God the way it happened in my daughter and we have been praying that the, your God would become the God of your children that they would embrace the Lord with all of their heart that the river of the blood of Jesus would reach from generation to generation to generation and that I will step in cleansed and sin free because of the blood of Jesus Christ redeemed and made completely whole and people are coming to your mind right now let's claim them claim every every child in Jesus name subdue let the blood of Jesus subdue every work of darkness now in the name of Jesus we're gonna partake of the blood it will subdue everything against you that hell has concocted breaking every assault against you dissolving and overthrowing all works of darkness for Jesus is the liberator and his pathway of liberation is through redemption through his blood prisoners come up out of the prison Debts are paid because of the blood of Jesus. Let's worship. Praise you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Thank you for the stripes upon Jesus' back that cleanse us of all sin. And now we declare the blood of Jesus subdue every demonic work against our families. Let's go ahead and praise him. Let's stand right there. Jesus, your blood does it. Your blood breaks the power of every demon hold. Your blood overthrows every work of darkness. In Jesus' name, those that come out of darkness into the, kingdom, the light of the kingdom of your beloved Son and be established in who you are.
And so we not only receive the fullness of forgiveness, we decree it. We decree everything be subdued under this blood. Everything come under the authority of Jesus because of the blood. Are you ready to partake? Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and praise the Lord with me. Praise you, Lord. Jesus is praiseworthy. Those assisting in prayer up front, come on down. What a marvelous message. What a privilege to be in Jesus' presence. Let's stand together as soon as you've handed your cup in. Thank you, Jesus. Our prayer people, come on down. I sense the Lord has done things today. How about you? At the very least, someone was encouraged. We always look for the Lord to work in our hearts, in our bodies, in our souls, detaching things that hell tries to put against us. And amen. Would you lift your heads before the Lord? I want to just declare this. Unexpected blessings. The Lord is here today. Unexpected blessings. The Lord is here today. He's here today. He's here today. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Today, you're dismissed. Love on each other.